First John 4, 1 through 6 um, is where we'll be this morning. Um, I've been in the ministry since my early 20s, and um, right now I'm about, I think I'm 36. I was thinking about that in the hallway. How old am I? Um, yeah, I'm 36. And um, in my early 20s, I started out uh, preaching at different churches. And I've been to a lot of different churches, a lot of uh, smaller kind of country churches, and had a lot of unique experiences where uh, there's been some scenarios where I'll go to a church and uh, my, my wife, at that point, Jess and I were dating, um, go to the church and, and you know, I'd, I'd get there and they'd say, here's the bulletin. And I'm like, well, who's doing the music? And they're like, you're doing the music. That's what the pastor always does at our church. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is going to be bad news. Um, and so I'd get up there and do the music and I do the prayer list. I have to pray for, you know, someone's aunt's knee and this person's surgery and this unspoken request. I don't even know what it's about. And doing all that. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've seen all kinds of little unique scenarios. One church was uh, about five or so people and I had to get down front. You know, I'm 21, 22 years old. And uh, in this particular situation, the, the late, there was a lady there with, a, with an oxygen tank on the front row. And uh, I was praying. I was trying to be, you know, like the spiritual 21-year-old guy that I was praying this prayer. I said, God, thank you for this time that you've brought us here. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, even for the air that we breathe. And at that moment, her oxygen tank went, and I was like, oh, no. And I just, it was this pause in my prayer. And, um, and so just being in those environments, it, it really shaped me. It helped me appreciate uh, the body of Christ and just see it in different, different ways. Um, I, I've been a part of larger mega churches. I've been a part of, I've been on staff at smaller churches as well. And it's been interesting to see uh, you have different models and different methodologies um, but, and one thing I, I kind of noticed as you go into these churches, there's, there's often um, a theological divide in, in some of the churches that I've been a part of. And I, I would say, if I were to nail it down to one major theological distinction, I would say the major theological distinction that I would see across the board in all the churches that I've been, spoke at or been a part of, or been on staff of, on, um, was the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's this dichotomy that I see across the board in the body of Christ that uh, I'm going to present today that I think it's a false dichotomy that you have the church that is really into the Holy Spirit over here and then the church that is into the Bible over here. And they're like two completely separate and different things. And and what I want to pose to you this morning, that, that dichotomy, if seen rightly, should not be so. Uh, You shouldn't have the church that is all about scripture, but not all about the Holy Spirit. You should have the church that's all about the Holy Spirit, and it's not all about the Bible. And and what I want to say to you this morning is is they actually actually coincide perfectly, and that's what we're going to see in scripture this morning. And so John's going to help us with that in 1 John chapter 4. But let me bring you up to speed in kind of what's going on. 1 John chapter 3 Uh, we see John talk about what a child of God is. Who is a child of God? Well, a child of God is a lover of God. A lover of God also loves other people. And then he ends 1 John chapter 3 with this um, very poignant statement about a person being changed by the gospel. And he talks about the person having the Holy Spirit of God. He says this in the end of First uh, John chapter 3, verse 23, he says, And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us. Then he says this, by the spirit whom he has given us. So what John's talking about here is you're going to be able to love others. You're going to be able to love God by the spirit of God that he places in you at the point that you believe. And you have all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to get when you become a believer, when you repent of your sins and you believe in the work of the gospel in your life, you get the Holy Spirit, you get all the Holy Spirit that you're going to get. And at that point, you're going to love God and you're going to love others because that's what the spirit of God is going to do in your life. And that is what John is arguing here in 1 John chapter 3. And then what he does in the next chapter, in chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning, he begins to talk about that there are also false spirits out there. There are false views of the Holy Spirit, and there's actually false works of the Holy Spirit. It's important that we know that and identify what that means. And I think that's important even this morning that there are counterfeit Uh, views of the Holy Spirit, which also make us believe that they're counterfeit works of the Holy Spirit. Because not everything that has the label Jesus on it is actually from Jesus. Not everything that says this is about the gospel is about the gospel. And I think it's important um, that we know that, that there are actually counterfeit works of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was in my uh, early college days, I went to a revival with a bunch of my friends, and it was like a a revival for college students. And uh, my friend was like, man, it's awesome, man. We're just seeing God do so many great things and God's just moving. The Holy Spirit is moving in these, in these places and every, every single night, man, something awesome happens. And so I'm like, you know, I'm a little skeptical because I'm like, okay, we'll see how this pans itself out. Walk in the room, we sit down and the speaker got up, man, the music was like three hours long, right? I'm like, I don't even know any of the songs. I'm like, man, okay, I'm... These are good songs. I'm a little tired, right, you know. Guy gets up, and he says, man, guys, man, the Spirit of God's been speaking to me all week. and just tell me to pray. And he didn't, God just told me, I don't even need to worry about a message tonight. He'll just give me one on the spot. I'm like, uh-oh, right. I'm, uh, you know, I've preached, so I know how this goes. Um, and it was obvious that he did not prepare. And I would also say it was obvious that God did not give him that message because it was all over the place. And then in the middle of it, he begins to just blurt out with just laughter. And he begins to roll around on the floor and he began to say, I'm sorry, the spirit of God has given me the, um, the gift of laughter. I'm just going to laugh and all, and everybody started laughing in the room. I'm like, that is a great idea if your sermon's not going well. I'm just going to start laughing and say the Spirit gave it to me. And I'm like, no, the Spirit gave you laziness and you didn't work on your sermon this week. That's what happened. But look, like in the message, I felt like, you know, this, so he's blaming the Holy Spirit because the sermon didn't go well. But everyone thinks, oh man, what a wonderful work. I'm saying, no, that's not the Spirit. That's a, that is, that is blaming the Spirit on something else. And I would say it's a counterfeit view of what the work of the Holy Spirit does. And if you grew up in America, you've seen it. Faith healers, people that ask you for money on television, they get people up on stage and say, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Somebody waves across the crowd, they all fall down and people come up and, you know, and you never hear about people who actually get healed like five years later from 
the story, they never tell you that story because it doesn't happen. And so you see this all the time around us, these people that blame the Holy Spirit on everything. And so we may need a caution. Uh, we need to kind of go into this with caution and uh, have the gospel lens on and know scripture well so that we believe and know what the Holy Spirit actually does. And this is exactly what John is dealing with in his culture. In First John chapter 4, he's talking about false views of spirit, false teachers. And in this, he's talking about people who believe that they are spiritual beings. They didn't need they don't really need the Bible. They don't really need the gospel anymore. And it doesn't matter what happens to your life. You can do whatever you want as long as you're saying that you're a spirit. This is exactly what John is dealing with. And that's what we see around us today. First John 4, 1 through 3. This is when he begins to talk about this discussion of the spirit. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But notice what he says. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of God this is how you know the spirit of God he says every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now was in the world already. So John starts this out by saying, how do we know which to trust? He says, test the spirits. And he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of God. And when he talks about um, false teachers and we, what we even see about false teachers in scripture, how do we handle false teachers? Um, Paul and John actually say almost identical things. Paul, and the, and to, when he talks to the church in Thessalonica, he's talking to a bunch of people who thought that Jesus would come at any point. And they're, just, they're not working, they're not doing anything, they're just waiting for Jesus to come because they thought he was going to come like within the hour. And Paul tells them, no, you've got to work, you've got to pray, you've got to rejoice, you've got to evangelize, you've got to be the church. And he begins to kind of lay out that what it means to, to wait on the Lord. It means to continue to serve him until he comes. And then he tells these, this church in Thessalonica the same thing that John just told um, his church, the scattered people across Asia Minor. He says, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Very similar to what John says. John says, test the spirits. Uh, Paul says, test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So this is the biblical response when we're confronted with what is true or what is false. He says, test the spirits. John, of course, is dealing with false teachers of the day. And this is why he says it in the first three verses of 1 John chapter 4, he talks about them and refers to them as Antichrist. And, and he's not talking about the, the big capital C Antichrist that we see in the book of Revelation who's going to come in the form 
of, is going to be come in the form of the messenger of light, which is Jesus, but he's not. He's going to be a false view of who Jesus is to deceive people away from the gospel. Uh, Paul begins, when, when John and Paul, when they both, uh, or John rather, talks about the Antichrist, he's talking about the lowercase Antichrist. He's saying in the same way that the Antichrist is going to deceive people, there are going to be false teachers that we're going to call the Antichrist because they're going to deceive people. And, and Paul, John actually argues that um, Antichrist will, more and more Antichrist will come, more and more false teachers will come as the days grow near. And so here you see John talk about the Antichrist in this way. He's saying they're just false teachers to deceive people from the gospel, and they're growing. And they're going to continue to grow until the day of the Lord, until Christ returns. And then you see him talk about this idea. He says, um, he, he talks about false teachers in the sense of who they are. He even does it back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. He says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is almost identical to what he says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He talks about how you have to confess that Jesus is the Christ and that he came from God. That's what it means to be um, sensitive to and in line with the Holy Spirit. And basically what John is saying is this. The Holy Spirit's role, and this is how we really know how to test the spirits. We have to know what the Holy Spirit's role is. He's saying the Holy Spirit's role is to promote Christ. That's exactly what he said in 1 John chapter 2. That's exactly what he said in 1 John chapter 4. What does the Holy Spirit of God do? He promotes Christ. He says, if you become a believer, you're going to know that the Son came from the Father and that Jesus is the Christ and he came from God. That is the first evidence that you know that you are with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit abides in you is because you began to claim, proclaim Jesus Christ with your lips and with your life. The Holy Spirit promotes Christ. That is primarily what he does. And if you miss that, you miss the entire point of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We believe that they are all equal. Yes, absolutely, in essence, in every way, equal. They're all equal in God, but they have distinct roles. What's the Holy Spirit's role? To promote Jesus so that you can see clearly who the mediator is between you and God, which is Christ. That's primarily what the Holy Spirit of God did, and that is primarily what the Holy Spirit of God does. Even John, he would have heard this from Jesus himself. Jesus in John 14 tells him that they're gonna, he's gonna leave, he's gonna depart, he's gonna die, he's gonna resurrect from the grave, he's gonna be seated at the right hand of the Father, and he promises his disciples that he's gonna send a helper. Even in his absence, he's gonna send a helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says in Jesus says to the disciples in John 14, 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, listen to what he says about the Holy Spirit. He will teach you 
all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is going to do? It's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring remembrance to you everything that Jesus has said. He's going to promote Jesus. Same thing, John, Jesus, uh, later in John's gospel, in John 16, Jesus is talking about, again, what the Holy Spirit does in John 16, says basically the same idea. John 16, 12, Jesus said this to his disciples, still I have many things to say to you, but I cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, listen, into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and, what, and, he, and he will declare to, you the, the, uh, declare to you the things that are to come. Listen to what he says about the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and, that, and, all, and, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does Jesus say both in John 14 and John 16, the Holy Spirit's role in your life, in our lives? He says it's to promote Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit of God did, and that is what the Holy Spirit of God does. What is John 4 saying when we say, 1 John 4 saying, when we, he talks about testing the spirits. He's saying the way that you, the first way that you test the spirits is look at the gospel. See if the gospel is being proclaimed. And this is foundational at every level. If you ever see an individual or a ministry or a church say that they are all about the spirit, that's their primary focus, but they never clearly proclaim the gospel of Jesus. They're actually doing the opposite of what the spirit of God does. The spirit of God promotes Christ. So this is basic. This is foundational. If you don't promote Christ, the finished work of Christ, you are not of the spirit. You're promoting a false gospel. And so this is basically we want to try and understand what the role of the Holy Spirit is. But now let's see what John says next in 1 John 4, 4. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this is good news for believers in Christ because it means that we cannot be possessed by Satan. It means that there's no, Satan cannot make you do something. Uh, the, the Spirit of God is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan and his work. He's talking again about false teachers. The Spirit of God is greater than the false teachers that we see around us. And so he's saying um, the Spirit of God is going to grow you to know, and basically what he says in, in John's Gospel again, to teach you all truth. So you're going to grow and you're going to endure. When I became a believer at 11 years old, I remember um, when I prayed the prayer and asked Jesus to save me, I remember the, the, the young boy was right beside me, did the exact same prayer. Um, I, I recognized later in my teenage years that that young, young man was not really a believer. Um, he did not claim Christ, but it was, it was that you know, he prayed the prayer. So it didn't mean that he was a believer that he prayed the prayer. We just saw he had no fruit in his life later. But let's just say... 
that he did pray and he did mean it and it was earnest and it was sincere and he did earnestly repent of his sins and did believe in the gospel and did have saving faith. What I think would happen is if I met him when we were in our 60s, there would be some foundational gospel things that we would agree on. Because the Holy Spirit of God would be doing a work in us and drawing us closer to understanding the gospel and the word of God more. And this is what John is saying. He's saying, listen, there's going to be false teachers around us, but listen, the spirit of God is greater. The false teachers will not overcome you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit will overcome you and control your life to the point that you begin to see the gospel more beautifully as you endure, and he will finish the work that he has started in you. And then he goes on in 1 John 4, 5, he says, they, meaning the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, notice what John does here. He's talking about believers are going to have this common language. He's saying, if you're from God, you're going to listen to us. He's talking about other believers. We're going to be drawn to other believers. And we're going to be re- reject the falsehood that's around us. And he's saying there's this common language that we have. And he's not talking about like... Christians have their own jargon and non-believers have their own jargon. And, you know, we talk more like, Christians talk more like Ned Flanders and Mr. Rogers and our language is more wholesome. And those dirty, like rotten non-believers have their own language over there. And like, we don't talk like that. He's not talking about like curse words or anything like that. It's not, that's not what he's saying when we talk about common language and listening to us. Um, what John is making a statement here. That if believers know and abide in the truth, there's, they do it in such a way that falsehood does not stick to us. Like anything that rejects Jesus Christ being the son of God, that will not stick to us if we are believers. I remember I went to, uh, I went to college with this guy named Josh Smith, very common name, right? And his father was a uh, well-known revival speaker in the denomination that I was a part of. And his name was Bailey Smith. And he would go in churches and he would do like the same sermon over and over. And, you know, people would, you know, tons of people would come forward at the altar and pray and all those things, you know, it's a big revival speaker. And, and no one knew that his dad was this guy because his name's Josh Smith. You're not thinking, I wonder if he's the son of such and such because it's such a common name. And so Josh had built a friendship with a classmate that was starting off preaching. And he said, hey, Josh, man, I, and, and this, this classmate had no idea who his dad was. And so he said, hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go and preach this revival. I want you to come, and I want you to critique my sermon. And I want you to come and write notes and, and help me with my sermon so I can develop and grow as a communicator, as a speaker. And so Josh went with this guy to the revival, and this guy gets up and he preaches and as Josh is sitting there listening, he's writing notes, and then the guy gets done, you know, does the, the whole thing, the altar call and the whole shebang, and then he's done. He meets Josh in the lobby and says, hey, man, 
kind of proud of himself, like I did a good job. Again, this guy has no idea who Josh is or who his, um, he doesn't know who Josh is today. He's related to this man. And he says, so what'd you think? And Josh says, that sermon was a lot better when, the, my, when my dad did it. And what had happened was he copied his dad's sermon almost verbatim. And you imagine um, the, oh, you're that Smith, right? Now, how in the world would that, A, make you feel, right? But how would that make Josh feel if he's sitting there? Well, Josh would know he'd have this familiarity with his dad and his dad's sermon so much that he immediately realized the counterfeit. He immediately realized the one who's trying to fabricate it. It was recognizable to him to the point, my, my dad did that. That's my dad's the same analogy. He used it with his wife. That, my dad did that with my mom. Like he went to the park with my mom. He didn't do that, but he just used that and stole that. And see, so he knew his father that well. He knew his father's words that well that when a counterfeit came, he would easily be able to sniff it out. And that's what John is saying. Believers in Christ, we are going to have this common language. Let me read it again. Verse 5, 1 John 4, verse 5. He says, they are from the world, false teachers from the world. They speak from the world. They're going to sound like the world. They're going to have a different gospel spin on it, but it will still, in the end, be worldliness. And the world listens to them. Then he says, verse 6, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. There's this common language that we understand because it all points back to Christ. And so this is why I believe there's no dichotomy between the Bible church and the spirit church, if we understand it rightly, because I believe both, when seen rightly, do the same thing. Scripture should point us to Jesus. The spirit of God points us to Jesus. Both promote the person and the work of Jesus. And to abide in the Spirit is to point to Jesus. You obey Him. You grow in your understanding of Him. You endure through His work in your life. And the by and the Word also points to Jesus. The Word teaches us to obey Him. The Word teaches us to grow. The Word teaches us to endure. We have to have both in our lives. And John's saying... If you're a believer, you will have both in your life. You have the Holy Spirit, and if you're a disciple, you abide in his word. The two are inseparable things. And let me pose the work, the spirit in your life is the word of Christ in your life as well. Let me help you as we think about understanding this even more. Um, The Apostle Paul, he talks about this concept of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he does this in, to the church of Ephesus. Um, and he talks to the church of Ephesus, he talks to them about what it means to have identity in Christ. That's the first three or so chapters of, of the, the book of Ephesus, um, book of Ephesians. And he begins to unpack in Ephesians your identity in Christ. And he talks about in, in chapter five of Ephesians what the Holy Spirit does in your life. He talks about the Spirit-filled life. 
So a person who's full of the Holy Spirit, they're going to submit to one another. We're going to love others. We're going to serve others. He even talks about husbands and wives. Man, husbands are going to lead their wives, like love them like Christ loves the church. It's this whole understanding of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And so when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he, he charges the church. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? If I just got up this morning and said, guys, you just need to be filled with the Spirit and just prayed. I think we would go different angles, would we not? We would leave here thinking different things because it's such a kind of a junk drawer phrase to use. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, he talks about it in Ephesians 5. And I'll just read 15 through 21. He says to the church of Ephesus, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's important, right? We understand what the will of the Lord is. What what does the Lord want for my life? This is what he says. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. That's good, right? Across the board. What's the will of the Lord? Don't get drunk. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he's going to tell you what it means. What does it look like for a person to be filled with the Spirit? He tells you what it looks like. 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He talks and unpacks this idea of a spirit-filled person is someone who sings and makes melodies. So it's like kind of high school musical-esque when you read it, is it not? So I'm going to break out in song and um, do a flash dance in front of them all if I really believe in the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. What he's saying is that you're thankful in all circumstances. That's what he's saying. A believer in Christ, someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, is thankful in all circumstances. All things that happen to us, we are grateful to our God. We're giving thanks always. And we're doing that even with one another. We're sharing the gladness that we have in Christ. We're sharing the joy that we have in Christ. And then we're submissive. We're submissive to God. We're submissive to each other. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He tells you, what does that look like? Now, interestingly enough, Paul, when we read something that's similar, like, so then the question is, how do you become filled with the Spirit? Then how do you end up with this gladness in your heart, this joy that you have? How do you do that? Well, again, if I just said, go do that, you're going to leave with a bunch of different ways that you're going to try to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to try prayer and meditation. You're going to try to, man, just go and walk and be alone with God in the woods and saying, fill me, Holy Spirit, do this now. When is this going to happen? And again, it kind of goes against the whole idea. Okay, okay, well, do we not have all of the Spirit? Do we need more of the Spirit? What does this mean? Paul, again, helps us understand it. Um, Similar to the church in Ephesus, he talks to the church in Colossae. And there in the church of Colossae, these are sister books, Colossae and Ephesus. Paul actually planted the church of Ephesus in the, the uh, success and the impact of the church of Ephesus. What resulted of that is the church of Colossae. 
it was planted off the success of Ephesus. And so Paul, when he talks to the church of Ephesus and he talks to the church of Colossae, he's actually talking to similar people and similar issues. He's saying, okay, there's an issue of pride in this church. It's probably going to be an issue that's dealing with the same false teachers, both, both the false teaching that was in both churches, the same problem. Some of the same people would have gone between the churches because they're just a few miles away. And so he's talking about the same ideas. And so in Colossians 3, he does the same thing he does in Ephesians 5. He talks about a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. But the way that he does it in Colossians is he says, um, put on the new self. Put on a new self. Again, what does that mean? So he does this. Colossians 3, verse 14, he says, And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Then he says this. Now pay attention to this word here, this this phrase in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? And hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. What does he say? How do you put on the new self? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's the result of the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? High school musical again, right? You're going to sing loudly. You're going to be thankful, and you're going to have gladness, and then you're going to share that joy with other people. That's what he's saying. And you're giving thanks to God in all circumstances. Whatever hardship that you face, you're thankful because you believe that God is sovereign and good over all those things. He's saying, that's the word of Christ dwelling in you richly in, in Colossians 3. And then Ephesians 5, what does he say? It's the Spirit of God, you being filled with the Holy Spirit. Same results. Different phrase. One is, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to respond with joy. The other is, if you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, you're going to respond with joy. Why do they sound the same? Because they are the same. And so there is no dichotomy between the Spirit church and the Bible church, if seen rightly. The Spirit of Christ does what the Word of Christ does. He promotes Jesus. That's why even in the Gospels, this Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Paul in Romans 8 calls the Spirit of God the Spirit of Christ because the Spirit of God and the Word of God, they do the same thing. They promote the finished work of Christ in your life. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you must allow God's Word to dwell in you richly. And so what John does in 1 John chapter 4 is when he talks about testing the spirits, there's two things that you have to do. You have to know the gospel. You have to know and abide in the gospel, the finished work of Christ, because that's what the Spirit of God does in you. He promotes Jesus, and he's going to cause you to know the gospel. The second thing 
You have to know the word of God. How do you test the spirits? How do you know what is true and what is error and what we just saw in the last verse of, we just read in 1 John 4, 6, what is true and what is error? He says, you've got to know the word of God. You've got to know the gospel and you've got to know the word of God. And you must allow the word of God to dwell in you richly so that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You will love Christ more. You will endure with Christ. And you will know the words of your Father to when you are confronted with falsehood, you reject it. And so my question is, this morning, are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor um, not long ago, and we were talking about, he's an older man, so his son is, um, I think, in his late 20s, and he was saying, man, my son, he's been sick for years, and we just couldn't figure, we've taken him to doctors, man, we've flown him all around the country, and he just doesn't know what the the diagnosis is. He said, and recently we figured out that, uh, just through a friend, um, out of all places, that it was asked his symptoms and said, man, I had the same problems. And he ended up having Lyme's disease. And he was saying, okay, because we've taken so much time not diagnosing the problem, it's been years and years, uh, according to, um, once they figured out what the problem, according to doctors that that were kind of analyzing the situation, they were saying, if you let Lyme disease sit for a certain amount of time without starting to cure it, it's, it's more difficult to get healed from it. It actually takes longer so as much as you take not getting healed from it or not getting the right prescriptions to take care of it, it's just going to get two times worse to solve the problem. And so once they found the problem, though, they said, here's what you need to take. You need to take these, these drugs. You need to have this amount of rest. And you need to drink, eat these types of foods. And you need to do these types of things. And they laid out this plan for him so that he would get healed. Now, Do you think he's going to do those things or not? After facing three years of a really painful, painful, painful sickness. And he finally has the cure. And he's got this prescription. He's going to follow through with it in every way. And what is happening here in John's gospel, he's saying... There's false teachers all around you. And they're spreading sickness. And they bring people away from the truth, the reality, and the joy that we can find in the gospel. But he says this. The cure is letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Letting the gospel saturate your life. And if you were, had Lyme's disease... And said, here's the cure. You would say, I'm going to take it every day. I'll do exactly what the doctor says. And we're saying, listen, here's the cure for your life, for you not to walk away from the wonderful joy of knowing and abiding in Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So if we were sick and we were dying, we'd take the medicine, will we not? He's saying, listen, here's the cure. It's the word of Christ. Let it dwell in you richly. And so my hope is you would see it that way. You would say, I want to live the spirit-filled life, so I'm going to 
make time for myself to abide in the words of God. I'm going to spend time daily reflecting on what God's word says to me so that I would find my identity in Christ, in Christ alone, and I would walk in obedience and joy in him. And that's my prayer for us, that we would let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so we might know what it means to be filled with the spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for letting us, letting it saturate our hearts.